Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of God with the holy angels. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Crosses were a common sight in Jesus' time. They're perhaps even more common now. Their popularity as a means of execution has turned into a popularity for use as jewelry, wall art, images on t-shirts. The cross was a weapon used by the Romans to control the population. It was not just their tool for execution, it was a symbol of their power, their oppression, their dominance. We certainly understand symbols used to control. Bones thrown to us like dogs, scraps that keep us quiet. Calls for an investigation into ERCOT by the governor and senator who are no less culpable than ERCOT, but hope their pantomimed outrage will be enough to keep them in power. Flags waved by politicians who repeatedly vote against care for our veterans. Bibles held up by those who do not love their neighbors, but want to keep those who call themselves Christians placated. When Jesus took up the cross and set his face toward Jerusalem, he was not trying to control or silence. He was placing himself in opposition to the Roman Empire and the religious authorities that conspired with it, placing himself against an ideology that oppressed and shackled the people. But many missed what Jesus was doing even then. In this morning's lection we read, 
Peter answered Jesus, You are the Messiah, and Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on divine, not on divine things, but on human things. In my experience, Christians often fall in line with Peter, misunderstanding the cross. For many, it's trivialized. People refer to their cross to bear. But they're typically referencing some grievous task like making dinner, doing the laundry, mowing the lawn, or a medical ailment. My head is killing me. It must be my cross to bear. This makes the cross about individual inconvenience. But the cross is political. The cross was the tool of the Roman Empire. It was where political prisoners were put to death in front of a crowd. The cross was Rome's ultimate judgment concerning what happens to those who oppose their absolute authority. James Cone in The Cross and the Lynching Tree wrote, People reject the cross because it contradicts historical values and expectations. Just as Peter challenged Jesus for saying the Son of Man must suffer, in the course of a few moments, Peter went from being the mouthpiece of God to a tool of Satan because he could not connect vicarious suffering with God's revelation. Suffering and death were not supposed to happen to the Messiah. He was expected to triumph over evil and not be defeated by it. How could God's revelation be found connected with the worst of deaths, the vilest of deaths, a criminal's death on a tree of shame? He continues, like the lynching tree in America, the cross in the time of Jesus was the most barbaric form of execution of the utmost cruelty, the absolute opposite of human value systems. It turned reason upside down. Rome meant the cross for humiliation, to strip away human dignity, to terrify, as a mechanism for control. It was the crowning example of the empire's oppression. And Jesus, in a twist so unexpected that we're still missing it, Jesus turns all of this on its head. Jesus makes the cross the rallying cry. He invites us to take it up, not on a necklace or wall art, but as a way of life, a way of challenging the authorities, a way of opposing violence with nonviolence, a way of justice creating, especially when the stakes are high. In today's lection, Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do we say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to us? I imagine that if I went computer screen by computer screen and asked each one of you about Jesus, that there would be as many answers as there are people gathered. One of you might say rabbi, another messiah, leader, ineffable mystery, savior, guide for life, prince of peace. 
However we understand Jesus' identity, when we consider what it means to follow after him, to be like him, we must realize that we're following one who challenges the systems that impoverish and imprison, the one who uses nonviolence to oppose tyrannical regimes. Early Christians, as I've mentioned before, because I find it so profound, early Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. The focus was on following. It was on the way. Not Jesus, but the way of being, the way of nonviolence, the way of resistance to occupation and oppression, the way of solidarity with the suffering, the way of justice, the way of peace. Who is Jesus? It's a fine question, a good question to explore, and alongside it, and perhaps even more importantly, we must ask, what way are we following? What are we willing to take up? What cause will we risk everything for? What will we do in the name of love? This is about choices. It's about allegiance, about loyalty, about what we're willing to risk for. This is about sacrifice, the kind of sacrifice that we understand full well. It's about staying home when you possibly can. It's about almost a full year of maintaining physical distance. It's about wearing a mask or two masks, not just for your own health, but to protect others. It's calling and Zooming and finding ways to connect. It's tending the gardens at church. It's Zooming in for council and deacons and committee meetings. It's running the Zoom meetings for kids corner and youth mentor meeting. It's checking on your neighbors. It's helping where you could It's helping where you could, even when you didn't have water or power. It's the money you share with Covenant and the money Covenant shares with our justice and mission partners. It's helping to clean up lots and parks and the beach. It's giving blood if you're able. It's recycling. It's the active work of being anti-racist. It's deep breaths and self-care. It's reading to children and Zooming with grandkids. It's what we do with our time and our money, the priorities of our lives. And Jesus is saying that to follow him requires that we look at our lives and we decide what's most important. And more than that, Jesus is telling us what he believes to be most important. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be a disciple. Jesus isn't talking about a necklace or a t-shirt, not a beautiful ornate cross in a church or cathedral. Jesus isn't talking about a symbol of Christianity. There was no such thing as Christianity when Jesus tells the crowd to take up the cross. Jesus has not yet been crucified when these words are spoken. Jesus isn't talking about the cross of Christ, not about atonement, not some price for sin. 
It seems to me that the only cross Jesus can be talking about in this moment of the narrative is the cross of Rome, of the empire, of the oppressors, the powers that be. Jesus informs those who wish to follow him that following him will mean counting the cost of the empire's response. And not just in a one defining moment sort of way, but in a daily way. Jesus isn't talking about private suffering. This isn't private at all. The cross was a very public display of the power of the empire over everyone. A person hung on a cross was set up as a public example, paraded before everyone in order to make clear exactly what happens to those who end up on the wrong side of the authorities. Jesus is telling us that what was designed to mock and shame could be lifted up and carried willingly. Jesus took up the cross long before he was hung on it. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He went willingly and directly into the seat of power and placed himself in opposition to the Roman Empire and to the religious authorities that conspired with it. Against an ideology that oppressed and shackled the people. Taking up the cross and following Jesus is not about the sacrifice of one life. It is about the sacrifices we are each willing to make to oppose injustice, to work to end oppression, to create peace, the realm of God. Jesus' death was a sacrifice, absolutely, but not a sacrifice required by God as payment for sin. Rather, Jesus was willing, as Marcus Borg puts it, to sacrifice his life because of his passion for God and the kingdom of God. Or as Bono has it, in the name of love. What more in the name of love? This is the path, the path of Bonhoeffer and King, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Elijah Cummings, of Romero and Dorothy Day, of countless names we will never know people who use their time on this earth for the furtherance of the realm of God's justice and peace. Jesus's passion threatened the rulers and their abuses of power in Jesus's day, and it threatens the domination systems in our own. Living and loving with this kind of passion is dangerous. It will affect our relationships, our choices, how we spend our money and our time. Following Jesus may mean stepping out of the rat race. It may mean we cannot keep up with the Joneses. It might change our goals. It might put us in opposition to those in power. It will require us to work against harm and exploitation of people and our planet. Jesus called the crowd 
with his disciples, and he said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What way are we following? What are we willing to take up? What will we do this day and tomorrow and the next in the name of love? Amen.